right. Kind of has been a tough week for our nation. You turn on the news and it kind of feels like all the reporters are like um, Debbie Downer from SNL. Do you all remember Debbie Downer? Hey, Jason, is the mouse on the proclaim? Yeah. Thanks. I wish I had a clip of her. but So a week ago, um, or I guess it was maybe Wednesday or Thursday, the UN published a two-year study by 107 scientists. It found that 30% of the food we buy is wasted. And the study found that over 820 million people in the world are malnourished while we're wasting 30% of our food. And this study by the UN found that um, if we don't figure something out in the next 20 years or so, then it's going to be really bad news for the next generation. It's kind of depressing. And then last weekend, we remember the shooting at El Paso uh, at the Walmart killed 22 people. The shooter wrote of Hispanics being an invasion in our country. And he told police that he chose El Paso. He drove hours to El Paso because of the heavy Mexican population. Based on the words of the shooter to police, the reason, the motivation for the shooting was not video games. According to the shooter, it was uh, racism. It was xenophobia, believing that someone from another country uh, is not worthy of being here. Prejudice, white supremacy, those were the motivations of the shooter. This week in our hometown, Springfield, Missouri, I made national news because somebody walked in to a Walmart wearing full body armor and an armed rifle and caused mass hysteria. And he said he was testing his right to bear arms. That's scary. Just 13 hours after the shooting in El Paso was a shooting in Dayton, Ohio. Killed 10 people, including the shooter and his sister. Injured 27 others. What feels like a very polarized country is being stretched even further apart by these happenings. And as difficult as all of this suffering is, a hard thing for me to realize is that until I can learn to hold that suffering and look at it and dive into it, only then can I learn how to, we as a country, learn how to heal from it it and hold it in solidarity with one another, then we tend to turn it right back on people around us, our family, our friends. It's kind of the idea of if you, if you hide a wound, it's just going to get worse. I remember when I was a kid, I had an electric hedge trimmer, and I was being a good kid and doing, trimming the hedges my parents' house and making cool little designs. And the electrical cord was draped over the front where the blade is, and I thought, oh no, that's gonna cut the blade or cut the cord. And so I reached up to grab it while I still had the trigger on, and I just sliced my finger open. And uh, it did a lot of damage. And I probably should have gotten stitches, and I didn't. I didn't want to tell my parents. I didn't want to go to the emergency room. I didn't want to get stitches. So I put a Band-Aid on it. 
and it got really, really, really infected. It eventually healed, and I do have some nerve damage to this day. Playing guitar is a little bit, feels a little ticklish. When you hide the pain, when you hide the hurt, when you hide the wound, it just gets worse. So there's something to be said about looking at the suffering when it happens, knowing how to hold it, knowing how to process it, knowing what to do with it. And we learn this about suffering by looking at our Jewish family. As Christians, our family, they are the Jews because most of the Bible was written by Jewish people in a Jewish culture and Jewish language. So it's good to be a part and connected with our Jewish roots as followers of Christ. This weekend is a day in the Jewish calendar called Tisha B'Av, it's the ninth day of Av. Av is like a month within the Jewish calendar. This is the ninth day of Av. And it started last night, and it goes through today. And it is the saddest day of the year for the Jewish people. It is a communal day of mourning. It's August 10 to 11. And it's known to be throughout history a day of tragedy for the Jewish people. A lot of bad things happened um, on this weekend, the ninth day of Av, throughout Jewish history. It started in 586 BC. The Jewish temple, which was their center of life and worship and culture, was burned to the ground uh, by the Babylonians. The Jewish people were um, evicted out of their land. In 70 CE, about 40 years after Jesus, Rome burned down the second temple their center of life and worship and culture, burn it to the ground. Both of those events were said to have happened on the ninth, 10th day of Av. In 132 CE, Roman Emperor Hadrian slaughtered over 500,000 Jews in the Roman Jewish wars, the revolt of the Jewish people. The Rome was the, uh, kind of the superpower of the world, and the Jews felt like they were oppressed by Rome, and they couldn't take it anymore, so they got a revolt together. They fought back. Over 500,000 of them were slaughtered by the Roman emperor. 1096 CE, under orders of Pope Urban II, the First Crusade began on August 15th of Av, killing 10,000 Jews in the first month destroyed Jewish communities throughout Europe, and those crusades were done in the name of Jesus Christ. July 18, 1290, King Edward signed the Edict of Expulsion, kicked out all of the Jews from England, and Eddie told his sheriffs that he wanted all the Jews out by All Saints Day, November 1st, where they celebrate Christian saints. We don't want any Jews in the land while we celebrate this Christian holiday. July 22nd, 1306, King Philip IV arrested all of France's Jewish population and told them they're gone out of here. The reason that he did this was because he wanted to make France the most Christian realm. July 31, 1492, day before Christopher Columbus set sail for the New World. I didn't hear this part of the story in history class. Jews were expelled from Spain the day before that happened, motivated by a passion to make Spain a Christian nation. When I hear today, when I hear people say that America is and should be a Christian nation, it makes me kind of nervous, anxious, because I think of these stories of other people and throughout history have said we need to make our nation a Christian nation. August 2nd, 1941, the Nazi party approved of the final solution 
is what they called it. And the problem that they were trying to solve uh, was Jewish people existing in our world. So the Holocaust began where a third of the world's Jewish population were killed. Hitler used the Bible to defend this in the name of Christ. For Jewish people, there's a lot to mourn on this day. Much of the suffering has been done in the name of Christ. And maybe us as a church, us as Christ followers, maybe it's time we help carry the burden of some of the suffering the church has caused. Maybe simply means acknowledging that it happened, looking at the suffering with them, acknowledging the injustice. The Jewish people remember these events on this day of the year so that those who died didn't die in vain. They remember so that they can make a step closer to healing because these things still hurt. They remember, we remember, so that I can look inside of myself and see any attitudes or behaviors that would contribute to things like racism, xenophobia, prejudice, suffering. What attitudes do I have in my own heart that could lead to looking down on anyone who is not like me? We remember these events so that we can look inside ourselves and make sure we're not going there again. We repent of those attitudes, those behaviors. And despite all the stuff that the Jewish people have gone through, they maintain this hope for what they call shalom. This was a main theme of the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures and New Testament scriptures. We think of shalom, we think of what? Peace. Shalom is so packed full of meaning beyond peace. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict. Cornelius Plantinga, which is a really interesting name, <laughs> he studied a uh, uh, Princeton University Theological Seminary, and he gives a definition for shalom that I kind of connect to than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. It's how things should be in the world. When there is anything in the world in our lives where you think it is not supposed to be this way, and is not shalom. So in this definition of shalom, sin is anything that keeps shalom from happening, anything that violates wholeness, justice, things as it should be, fairness. So in Jesus' inaugural address, when he walks into the temple and he starts his ministry, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he talks about shalom, and this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, quoting Isaiah, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, shalom. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, shalom, recovery of sight for the blind, shalom, to set the oppressed free, shalom, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor was this Jewish... Um, year called Jubilee that's talked about in the Old Testament. And the year of Jubilee was a year that was spoken of as the time when all prisoners would be set free, 
all debts would be erased. Kimberly, you just bought a house. You probably have a mortgage, right? The year of Jubilee comes along. The bank says, debt's gone. The house is yours. Yeah. The year of Jubilee happens. They actually would give or uh, was said to have given the land rest. They'd stop farming and agriculture because they realized that agriculture makes the land tired. They'd rest. They'd make sure everyone in the, in the society and the community had what they needed. Year of Jubilee. Restoration, peace, wholeness. It was shalom. Jesus comes on the scene. He says, the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, I'm bringing it. I'm bringing the wholeness, I'm bringing peace, I'm bringing shalom to our world. Jesus was not, I want to show this, did you guys hear the news this past week that Chase released all credit card debt for Canadian customers this past week? Yeah, right? Don't you wish you were Canadian for more reasons than this? Um, (laughs) Yeah, so Chase pulled out of the Canadian market, and instead of making all of the customers continue to pay back their debt, they said, you know what, let's just make it easy for everyone. Nobody owes anything anymore. Year of Jubilee. Gosh, wouldn't that be awesome? So Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, I am initiating the year of Jubilee. All debts erased, all prisoners set free, the people who have been oppressed who have been suffering, who have been marginalized, who have been outcast. It's their time to get up, to rise up. I'm here on the scene to help them do that. Year of Jubilee. Jesus was not the only one who was given God's spirit to implement shalom, the year of Jubilee. Paul says, 1 Corinthians, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news, to bring shalom. Paul says, and the spirit of the Lord is in you to bring shalom, to bring wholeness, to bring peace to the world. What is the evidence of spirit in us? He says the evidence is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Every time you exhibit any of those characteristics, you are exhibiting the Spirit of God through you. You are exhibiting the things that bring shalom to our world, wholeness to our world. Despite the suffering we see in our world and our lives, we hold on to the hope of shalom, that one day the world will be as it should be. Isaiah says that when that happens, our weapons, our armed rifles will be turned into gardening tools. We're going to melt them all down and we're going to make gardening tools so that everyone has food. That is shalom. And every time we exhibit evidence of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, we are contributing to shalom in the world. We are partnering with God and bringing shalom to the world. Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist and a Holocaust survivor. His parents and his pregnant wife were killed by the Nazis, and his mom and his wife were killed in the concentration camp. In Auschwitz, he experienced um, 
hell. <laughs> he wrote a book about it called Man's Search for Meaning. There's like a 1 in 28 survival rate for being in concentration camps, and he survived along with the, one of his sisters. He writes about his experience in that book, and he noticed he kind of became a sort of therapist for the people in his um, cabin. He noticed that the people who survived the longest were the ones who maintained some kind of hope some kind of idea that there is meaning in their situation somewhere. He found something interesting. He said that he experienced the capacity for kindness and hate both within his fellow comrades, Jewish comrades, and even with some of the Nazi soldiers. He said the Nazi commander uh, would later find out that he spent uh, a massive amount of his wealth to bring in medicine for the Jewish prisoners, and he never laid a hand on the Jewish prisoners. And Viktor Frankl also found that the, the person, his comrade, who was in charge of his group, uh, would beat his fellow comrades as often as he could, any chance he could get. Viktor Frankl realized in that horrible, horrible situation, even the people who should be the good guys can do bad things, and even the people who are the bad guys can do good things. Within all of us is a capacity for love or hate, for good, for evil. We have choice, he said. We all have a choice, no matter what situation we're in, or whether we're going to express goodness or violate shalom, bring destruction. From his time concentration camp, he said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, you can take away their clothes, you can take away their food, you can take away their family, you can take away everything except one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. The only freedom that cannot be taken from you. is your choice of how you will respond, how you will react, your attitude. I don't really have much right to be preaching that. <laughs> I haven't been through anything remotely close to that level of suffering. And he did, and he somehow pulled this out. That even those in the worst situation you could possibly imagine, the worst moment in human history, there were people who were choosing to respond with kindness, with joy, with gratitude even. How the hell they did that, I don't know. Maybe there is a God. <laughs> I cannot even begin to imagine he said, the truth, he discovered that love is the ultimate and highest goal which man can aspire. And I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love, even in the midst of suffering in our lives and our world. Salvation, another word for salvation is restoration. Another word is wholeness. 
the way to that wholeness and restoration and salvation Viktor Frankl found is through love. Our God is love. Love is the way to shalom. Love is the way to healing. That is why Jesus said, love your enemy, because the only way that enemy is going to become somebody who no longer expresses their own hurt to hurt others, the only way they will be healed of that is if they experience love inside themselves. That's why Jesus said, love your enemy. Pray for those who hurt you. The solution is not to fight back eye for an eye. The solution is love. That is what will lead to change and wholeness and shalom. And the great the leaders of our time, the Mother Teresa's, the, the Gandhi's, Martin Luther King's, they all had flaws in their humanity, but they all realized that an eye for an eye, it's not going to work. It's going to make the whole world blind. So the way we move forward to shalom is love. We have a choice in every situation, in every moment, no matter what's going on, to choose love. That doesn't mean we ignore the suffering, the violence, the hate. It doesn't mean we hide it. It doesn't mean we push it aside. It means we look it in the eye. We shine the light on it. We say this is wrong. This is unjust. This cannot be. This cannot happen. And I will not allow for this. And instead of hitting back, I'm going to choose to be patient and kind. I'm going to choose to love instead. That will lead to change. Maybe that's why Paul and Acts, there's a story where he and his, his friends were uh, taken before the court and they were beaten and flogged and then they were sent to prison. And that night at prison at midnight, Paul starts singing a song. And the guards are freaked out. Why would you be singing a song in prison after we just beat you? Why would he be singing a song? Because in the midst of his suffering, he had this core internal drive that there is hope, that the suffering doesn't have the last word, that shalom is possible and it's happening, even in the midst of the suffering. Maybe that's why he could write, we're hard-pressed on every side, we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. Struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. We hold in one hand the suffering in our lives and in the world. But we hold on to that. We also believe that there is a hope that through that suffering can come life and wholeness, and healing. It doesn't mean that suffering is needed for wholeness and healing necessarily. Viktor Frankl said, by all means, if you can stop the suffering from happening in the first place, that's what we need to be doing. But sometimes the suffering is just inevitable. But when it is inevitable, when it does happen, it can lead to wholeness and healing, depending on what we do with it. And we have a choice with what we do with it. Communion is an opportunity to participate in the suffering of Christ and the suffering of the world. There is idea with, within some of the Christian mystics throughout history 
some even say that there is no such thing as individual suffering. Some even go as far to say that there is one suffering that we all are a part of. There is one suffering that we all share. When Jesus suffered, he was part of that. When I suffer, I'm part of that. When you suffer, you are part of that. We are all sharing it together. There's something beautiful about that. Carry one another's burdens. Share it so nobody has to take it alone. And we eat and drink the bread and the wine, the juice. We are remembering that suffering. We are almost taking that suffering in us because that night before he died, he actually broke the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. This bread represents pain and suffering. He said, this is my blood, my love poured out for you. That is suffering, that is pain, that is injustice. He said, every time you eat and drink, remember me. So I invite all of you, body and the blood, and as you take it and eat, I think no one is alone in their suffering. No one is alone. I am taking the suffering into myself along with everyone else. And I will take that suffering as I bring it into myself, and I will allow the Spirit of God to use it to bring wholeness and healing and shalom in our world. You think, how in the world are we supposed to bring shalom with mass shootings, with racism, with prejudice, with all of this? The Spirit of the Lord in you looks like kindness, looks like patience, looks like joy. When you acknowledge during the dark night, during the dark moments, when you acknowledge the, the light also, the goodness, the things you have to be grateful for in the midst of all the bad, that is bringing joy, that is bringing the spirit of the Lord, that is bringing shalom into your situation, into your moment. Kimberly, would you help me administer The left cup will be the gluten-free cup. Do you think Jesus had gluten-free wine and bread as an option? Come as you are ready to receive his body, his love. To receive his suffering and also his wholeness and shalom. just said to me as I took that shalom it is a greeting and it is more than hello and goodbye shalom means I wish upon you wholeness healing restoration 
May you, every time you greet another person, a human being, you think, shalom, I wish upon you wholeness and healing and restoration. Go in peace.